0: even, and especially when, they seem foreign and unbelievable. Let us be curious. May we explore all the ways that love comes into and flows out of our lives and seek to find the ways that make us all more whole. Let Let us be curious. Again, thank you all for being here on this glorious spring day. So our uh, our theme for the month of May is curiosity, looking at how we think about our world, our lives, our experiences, and more, most importantly, how we learn. Since the birth of consciousness, eons passed, People have sought answers to the universal questions of existence. Why are we here? How does the universe work? What happens after we die? Through every shepherd gazing at the night sky, every person who pondered at the beauty of the sunrise, every builder who sought an easier, better way to lay stone or cut wood, Our human experience has been one of curiosity, exploration, experimentation, and learning. For much of human history, the exploration of this truth has been, if not monopolized, certainly dominated by religious authorities. From tribal leaders to popes, the job of answering questions fell almost exclusively to those with spiritual influence and authority. Cause and effect were often traced to the whims of deities rather than to physical mechanics. Explanation of suffering and reward tied to the anger and favor of God or the spirits. Creation, the result of the will of a being who at the very least set the universe in motion and, at most, controlled or interfered with every aspect of our daily lives. But gradually, through trial and error and the communication and learning across the generations, people began to understand more about their reality based on what worked and what didn't. Where praying a certain way over an injured leg was one thing, Praying while applying the appropriate herbal salve was another. So too was calculating the appropriate times for planting and sowing agricultural stock by watching the phases of the sun and moon. Gradually, more and more of the world's mechanics began to be understood in meaningful, helpful ways. And people began to question and even deny some of the older explanations of mythology and scripture. Now some scholars argue that it was at this point, sometime late in the first millennium of the common era, about a thousand years ago, that a rift began between religious authorities and an emerging discipline of experimental science. And while science initially developed in consort with religious exploration, when empirical evidence contradicted, accepted religious claims, science was increasingly suppressed. By the time of the Reformation and Renaissance periods, the scientific claims of Copernicus and Galileo that placed the sun and not the Earth in the middle of the solar system had long been declared heresy, Centuries later, Darwin would be condemned for his presentation of the theory of evolution by natural selection, circumventing the monotheist claim of a single creator God who made human beings in its own image. But then the Enlightenment period began. Enlightenment thinking was based on reason and its application through the scientific pursuit of knowledge flourishing in post-Reformation Western Europe, the Enlightenment was a period of rapid academic growth across many different areas of study, including philosophy and moral theory, what would now be considered psychology, sociology, the established study of mathematics, and it was then that the scientific disciplines of chemistry, physics, and astronomy, among others, Really began to take their modern shape. Now, why this period is so important to the world in general is that the Enlightenment gave birth to the rise of humanism, which our opening author, Dr. Pinker, describes as a philosophy or way of thinking which privileges the well being of individual people over the glory of the tribe race, religion, or nation. It is individuals, not groups, who are sentient, who feel pleasure and pain, fulfillment and anguish. Now, while this might sound like a pretty basic understanding given our contemporary mindset, humanism represents both a drastic departure from the accepted knowledge of the past and a direct threat to the institutional authorities that existed at the time. Now, the implications of this line of thinking that moral good existed within the treatment of the individual and not simply the aggregate good of the family, tribe, or country were, as you might imagine, very problematic for the kings and popes of 17th and 18th century Europe Indeed, it was deistic humanism which directly influenced the brand of democracy instituted by America's founding fathers, albeit with some indefensible omissions when it came to slavery and the treatment of women and indigenous populations and so on. But in fact, for much of the ensuing centuries, there was an increasing attention paid to science, reason, and humanist principles. The entire of the industrial revolution can be linked to an explosion of scientific research, experimentation, and innovation. It is not coincidence that at the same time we were exploring the internal combustion engine, electricity, and the axioms of photography and light, we were also expanding our understanding of morality and the role of government in our everyday lives. Philosophers like John Locke began the study of what we now know as human rights and the true role and responsibility of governments to their people and not the other way around. Again, as Dr. Pinker reminds us, it's individuals who feel pleasure and pain, fulfillment and anguish. Now what's particularly interesting for us today is that Though most mainstream religions initially, or continue to reject the claims of reason made by scientists in the Enlightenment and humanist movements, Unitarians and Universalists embraced them. Many of the earliest of what we would consider scientists were also Unitarians. Most famous, perhaps, is the Unitarian pastor turned chemist Joseph Priestley, who not only was banned from England for preaching Unitarianism in contrast to the Trinitarian Anglican religion of the king, but also discovered and isolated oxygen by heating mercury oxide and collecting the residual gas. Priestley would eventually head to the fledgling United States at the invitation of his fellow scientist, fellow Lunar Society member, and fellow deist, Benjamin Franklin. A generation later, the transcendentalists like Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau would build on the burgeoning humanist understanding of the self and apply it to civic and moral responsibility. Thoreau himself created the concept of civil disobedience as a social good and a civic necessity in the pursuit of justice based on the humanist ideal of the responsibility and worth of every individual citizen to do what is just. And for a while, there was sort of an age of reason, an analytical approach to the world that took over. We can see this in that much of 20th century international law is actually based on Enlightenment reasoning, which has been consistently articulated by the humanists over the past couple centuries. These so-called humanist manifestos, of which there have been three, have paved the way for not only international statutes, but civic morality for just as long, being reflected in the charter of the League of Nations and most notably in the formulation and adoption of the United Nations Universal (laughs) Declaration of Human Rights, which is the first international document to lay out basic rights that all governments are expected to uphold regardless of circumstance. I'm gonna list just a couple of them here. The right to life, liberty, and the security of person, everyone's freedom from slavery and torture, everyone's right to be treated as a person before the law, everyone's right to choose or not choose a spouse, everyone's right to education, and the right to leave and peaceably return to one's own country. This is among many, many of the other rights listed in the Universal Declaration. And all of these, every single one is based on enlightenment, humanist ideals. But unfortunately, the age of reason has not lasted, or at least not continued unabated. Throughout modernity, the appeal of reason, the scientific method, and the humanist principles themselves have come under constant criticism and resistance. Religious institutions have been particularly guilty Of trying to discredit scientific theories and pursuits. Dr. Pinker notes that since our scientific understanding is never complete, the pseudo argument known as the God of the gaps is always available. Today, the most sophisticated theists have tried to place God in two of these gaps the fundamental physical constants and the hard problem of consciousness. But as silly as it sounds when Pinker says it, the fact remains that God of the Gap's argument is compelling to a great number of people. People who don't like or don't trust the conclusions of science when it relates to climate change or comprehensive sexual education or the evolution of species by natural selection or the very age of the Earth itself. And just as dangerous, if not more so, is the proliferation of attacks on science and reason from the political right. Fostering mistrust of science and discrediting intellectualism is a favorite tactic of those few in power who wish to remain in power at the expense of everyone else. Think of the way that climate change has been denied in favor of fossil fuel consumption, larger class sizes in public schools uplifted as good for education when really only a way to cut costs and deprive low income students of a competitive chance, and the outright denial of the human rights of asylum seekers at international borders despite being affirmed in no uncertain terms by the Universal Declaration. So too have the rights and privileges of individuals come under attack in the name of nationalism and tribalism that has caused recent events like the Brexit vote in England, the refusal of refugees across the European Union, and loud calls for a wall and the end to immigration services on our own southern border. And as we've seen, rarely is the defense of reason a priority of religion. To be fair, it was 1992 before the Catholic Church reversed to Galileo's excommunication and admitted that the heliocentric model was correct in describing the orientation of the solar system. Again, with the sun in the middle, it took them almost 500. But it's a sad fact that science and reason itself are threatened, beset on all sides, as it were, by challenges from those with motives to not accept reason. And that's where, again, we Unitarian Universalists have a unique role to play. By being both rational and spiritual, we represent a specific intersection between moral, religious authority, and faith in scientific inquiry. Unitarians and Universalists, who for centuries have proclaimed that all religious claims need to stand up to the test of reason, who acknowledge the human origins of sacred texts long before the rest of the world, and who produced some of the great scientific and moral minds of the post-Enlightenment era and we Unitarian Universalists who have long claimed that faith, like science, requires the verification of experience and accepted truths as shared through dialogue and that science, like faith, requires a grounding in the moral responsibility we have for each other and the Earth. It is not coincidence that environmental heroes such as John Muir, who founded our National Forest and National Park system, and Rachel Carson, who spearheaded the crusade against DDT, were both Unitarians. It is not coincidence that Clyde Tumbaugh, who was the first to discover and identify Pluto, was also a dedicated UU who helped found the church in Las Cruces, New Mexico, where he would be an active lay leader for the entirety of his life. And it is not coincidence that one of the most influential ministers in our past, the Reverend Dr. Florence Buck, under whose leadership this sanctuary was constructed, started her career as a science teacher, who remained committed to education and the pursuit of reason her whole life. In fact, it was Reverend Buck's regular lectures on scientific and not spiritual issues, such as Darwin's evolution of species by natural selection, that inspired a young Mary Davidson Bradford to become an educator in the first place. Yes, we have a unique opportunity now, just as in centuries past, to affirm and celebrate knowledge, both spiritual and scientific. And we need not claim to understand everything to uh, to affirm its truth and its worth. I don't pretend to know how a cellular network works, but I trust in those who do, and their knowledge is confirmed every time I press a button and am connected to a loved one far away. I don't remember the whole of the Krebs and Calvin cycles, but I trust that the oxygen we breathe is a direct result of the vegetative life on our planet. And from this knowledge, I can affirm that deforestation and increased vehicle emissions are inherently bad for the world and specifically bad for us. Likewise, I don't pretend to know what God is. But I know that when I follow my conscience and commune with that little spark of celestial fire that dwells within me, my life goes better. When I am most conscious of the way love manifests in my life, I am most productive in my work and most rewarded in my leisure. Yes, we have a unique lineage and a unique responsibility as rational, inquisitive people of faith, to promote the advancement of science grounded in our values of pluralism, dialogue, and consensus. We have an obligation to not let centuries worth of scientific discovery be pitted against several millennia of religious and political thought. And we have both the opportunity and the responsibility to minister to our analytical thinkers, supporting knowledge in all its forms and in all the ways it can be obtained. Only through an open discourse about reality might we each come closer to the truth, each come closer to the life we were meant for. And ultimately, we have the opportunity and obligation to uphold the reason and love and the love in reason knowing they are each a part that makes up our experience our lives our faith and affirm once and for all that science itself is a means of exploring our world and that we know love is the ultimate end so I say to you be curious continue to seek truth Continue to seek reason. Go forth and be curious and go forth in love. May it be so. Blessed be and amen. Now we're going to close our service today with a piece from the great artist and social advocate Neil Young. And like some of our selections here, the language of this piece is not as inclusive as we might like. Young refers to God in the singular masculine.